a privilege and a pleasure to share some reflections on the Holy Spirit, who's just like this amazing gift and, and just enhancement to our entire human life. Uh, the gospel I'd like to reflect on today is John chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, as follows. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person once grown old be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I really love this metaphor our Lord uses of the wind relative to the action of the Holy Spirit, particular, particularly the apparently sort of arbitrary and whimsical character he, he attributes to it. It's not a whimsical character. It almost seems like a whimsical character. He blows where he wills. We can picture sort of this sprightly presence this free, impish being uh, flitting about from person to person. Um, and of course, those are just human imaginings and fantasies, but um, like that sprightly imp, the Holy Spirit is mysterious to us and doesn't appear sometimes to have rhyme or reason and certainly can't follow and fit into our categories. Um, and while the whimsical character is not there, there's this great freedom and beauty about the way the Holy Spirit moves. So um, the sort of the, the directive or guidelines for these reflections are to, to think about one's own experience a little bit with the Holy Spirit and, and, and draw from that. Um, I guess in that sense, it's good to be old, crusty, and bald, um, to have a little time behind you. Uh, not if you're a woman, the women giving these reflections, hopefully may be older in years but are not crusty and bald like me um but there's a lot the more life goes on the more there more experience one has i guess to reflect on and to see some of these beautiful actions of the holy spirit so i have a couple to share um one is the one i love to mention is the uh, moment when i realized that i was to marry the woman to whom i married patricia McCarran Williams. Um, been married to her for 21 years. I like to say that our marriage now is old enough to drink. Um, and it didn't sort of all come about in, 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 in the typical way. Uh, I had been a legionary of Christ. I had come back from the legion and I was living with my parents. Oh joy to them. Um, and I was thinking about making all sorts of different plans and trying to figure out, of course, where God was leading, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but I certainly, I'd laid out so, a little bit of a sort of a map of things that I would focus on and uh, any sort of thought of marriage was kind of distant down on the list because I didn't have a dollar or a credit card or stuff like that. Uh, had no credit, barely remember my social security number, yada, yada. So I had, been, I had been back for two or three months. My cousin, a female cousin, was living in the same house uh, that we were in, a good friend of mine from the earliest days. Um, she was teaching at Everest Academy. Uh, and at one point, cutting to the chase, my parents were off on vacation. 
um, and my cousin and I were in the house and she said, your mother and I shared this funny whimsical thought that, speaking of whimsy, that um, we, th we found this girl at, at Everest Academy that we think, not, not a student, by the way, a teacher, uh, uh, this girl at Everest Academy that we think would be, would be great for you, but it's obviously not the right time, so we made this pact that we wouldn't, we wouldn't tell you who that was, but I just thought, thought it would be fun to let you know that there's this person. So long story short, poor Barbie, my cousin, Barbie McGrath, um, I sort of cornered her and wouldn't let her leave until she told me who it was. And of course, giving her the impression and, and certainly thinking to myself that I was taking it as whimsically as she was. Um, and so finally she caved and she let me know who it was that they were thinking of. And I said, well, why don't you show me a picture? Uh, so she showed me a picture and then all of a sudden my mood completely changed. I looked at this picture, which was a small oval on a large sheet of pictures of teachers. Um, and I felt a movement of the Holy Spirit, which was unmistakable. Um, you feel a few of these movements and you kind of learn to, to identify them. Um, this is the woman you're going to marry. And from one second to the next, my entire understanding of everything just changed. And so I looked up, literally looked up from the, from the picture and looked at my cousin in the eye dead serious and I said, I need to get a date with this girl and I need you to help me plan that. And her, she, her face turned ashen white and her jaw dropped and she was like, no, no, nah, bah. So anyway, ultimately she did help me. Um, I did get a date with this girl but, and the rest was history. I mean, I didn't fall in love with that picture. I didn't really distinguish emotionally that picture from the other pictures. Um, <laughs> so I was a little bit, I, 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 I'm not gonna lie, I was, I was very scared when, when I felt that movement, um, but uh, we've been married now for 21 years and uh, I, I'm not, I think like many people who would be watching this, I, I'm, it takes a certain type of woman to fall in love with for me and it's not every one, and I think that's true for most of you. So the fact that that occurred with in this particular case is very close to miraculous, I think. Um, and it's I could tell you story after story and and how beautiful beautifully God has taken care of my wife and me and our marriage and our children um, from that time forward, and how I freaked my wife out by mentioning marriage too early in our dating and all of that. There's lots of stories around that. Um, and then there are other moments in my life also where these, these grand movements of the Holy Spirit occurred. Um, I never had a vocation crisis in the Legion. I never doubted my vocation. I was very happy there. Uh, when, when a superior suggested to me, uh, you know, ultimately it, it turned out to be very wisely that I consider a change of course. It came out of nowhere, came out of, out of the blue. I was very disquieted by this and very concerned. Um, for a while I fought against that notion. Uh, and there was a moment, again, without I could go into great detail, but there was a moment where uh, it became clear that this is where the Legion was intending for me to choose to go, to, to leave the, the religious life. Um, you know, it was become, became more definitively clear, which was great on the human level, I guess. 
at least to have some clarity. But I was gifted there with a tremendous movement of the Holy Spirit in my soul. This is where I want you and this is where you're going to find the happiness that I have created you for as your next step is to, is to, is to leave. So I was filled with, with great peace and joy and tears, even though I loved my legionary vocation. That again, again, for me was very subjectively, if you will, was very miraculous because I was very attached to my legionary vocation and I was very happy there and I couldn't really envision myself anywhere else. And so when the Holy Spirit filled me at that moment with that certainty, it was another amazing gift. And then finally, uh, I suppose ironically in a way or paradoxically, but um, logically at the same time, if you will, uh, similar movement when it came time to join the Legion. I was only 17 years old. I walked into a chapel in Cheshire, just intending to make a visit there. I'd really enjoyed my visit with uh, my brother who was in the Ravish at that time. Um, and I walked into a chapel just intending to make a visit and I walked out certain that I was to join the Legion and I hunted down the vocation director and asked him to give me uh, a, an application. I filled it out and I never looked back. So um, lots more to, to talk about there and it may sound like, oh gosh, I, I have this special plug and I can just go in there and kinda uh, you know, get easy answers. That is, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, there, have been years at a time when I really struggled to understand if I was more in sort of the how, if you will, than the what. If I was pleasing to God, if I was doing His will, to trying to understand what He was looking for from me and not, not getting a lot of clarity. And really, I think in retrospect, what I was trying to do, although I wouldn't have identified it as, at that, as that at the time, I was trying to replicate those moments of certainty that did come when they came and was trying to, um, you know, sort of make that kind of a, a constant thing. I think sometimes what we do is, I, again, I love this notion of the Holy Spirit as this free wind that blows where it, where it wills and which is the master, is the protagonist, right? And does things the way he wants to do. I think sometimes we try to enslave the Holy Spirit unconsciously. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense that we just, we want him, this could, could be true too, you know, that we want him to tell us to do, uh, to do what we want to do. We want to enslave him to our will or we want to make ourselves the master and him, uh, you know, just, just do our bidding. I think, I think there's a subtler way we try to enslave him sometimes, which is to sort of like treat him like Google Maps, like immediate answers out of a vending machine. I type in a question and he gives me the answer and he becomes sort of this, this enslaved, you know, um, um, sort of immaterial being that I can use it at will to, to, to get all the right answers. And I think this is, this is a mistake. Um, you know, I, I, I think it comes from the notion of, a good notion of the, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how precious and beautiful and wonderful those are. And we kind of think we should be able to call on those gifts anytime and call on the Holy Spirit anytime we want. Um, you know, we know that, um, you know, we, we know that our good judgment when we enter into an ongoing relationship of prayer and the sacraments with God and really that, that, that relationships matures slowly over time 
the Holy Spirit crowns our good judgment with that gift of wisdom. He crowns our human understanding of things with sort of this divine insight, that gift of understanding that the Holy Spirit provides. And we can sense this developing in ourselves, right? He, he crowns our desire to be good friends and give good advice with his supernatural gift of counsel. How many times have you said, wow, I actually gave a, some good advice to that person and that didn't really seem to come from me. It didn't seem like I was working on my own there, that gift of counsel. He crowns our willpower with his gift of fortitude, sort of this unbreakable fortitude. We see that with the martyrs and so many saints and we've experienced it maybe in our own lives where we managed to forbear uh, when the chance of forbearance seemed very slim. Um, he crowns our human knowledge with divine knowledge. There's a, there's a great story about this, how Thomas Aquinas, amazing theologian, honestly, I, I recommend um, reading some of the Summa Theologica. Don't, don't, be, don't be intimidated by the brilliance of this guy it's just, it's just like sucking honey. It's just great stuff. It's just so good. Um, and he has these amazing insights and these brilliant, you know, descriptions in there. So you've got to get by some, some, of the, some archaic stuff once in a while, but it's really an amazing, the, the writings of St. Thomas are truly amazing. Well, he'd finished this thing, and the Summa Theologica is like this big encyclopedia thing, like how does someone even write that? But he finished this, and, and he was some time later uh, in a moment of prayer, and he had an overwhelming experience of God, and he came into this sort of direct knowledge of God that one, one gets when one experiences God, sort of this person-to-person -person knowledge, like, I know you as a person as opposed to I know about you, right? Um, and and the, 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 the difference between that supernatural infusion of knowledge for Thomas and and the wisdom in his writings was so great to him and his perception at that time that he said, Lord, I just want to, I just want to destroy everything I've, I've written because it, it can't compare. This is where it's at. People just need to get to know you. And the Lord sort of sweetly, if you will, responded to Thomas. No, 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 you've, you've written well of me, Thomas. I've always liked that, that, uh, that story. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's true that they do enhance these natural gifts of our will and of our intelligence with these various gifts piety fear of the lord we can talk about that as well so why why is it that we often feel unsure why is it that we don't get this effect of just walking around with absolute confidence and knowing all the time we can just kind of lean towards the holy spirit and get certainty about everything that's certainly not the case in my life uh in in the ordinary of of the day-to-day Again, there have been moments of tremendous uh, lack of confidence in my life that I was actually kind of doing things the way God might want me to do them. So why, why that uncertainty? I think that it's because God delights actually in our nature as such. And he, the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene to steer the course of our lives decisively very often because he delights in how we ourselves with the gifts that he's given us of intelligence and will can navigate pretty well with his help and his friendship but navigate pretty well with our own nature and even with the gifts that he gives us what he's doing is he's crowning our nature with supernatural gifts but he's not replacing it um, c.s lewis talks about jesus's miracles i think this is a tremendous insight uh, from c.s lewis 
as enhancements of nature, not contradictions to nature. And, and in that way, he differentiates Jesus's miracles from what we see in, in magical fantasy uh, and, and magic. Magic will, you know, deform nature or will change nature, will, will contravene nature, contradict nature. And by and large, Lewis observes that Jesus's miracles just sort of speed it up or enhance it or give it back what it's lacking or this kind of thing so that he heals the blind gives back to them their nature he cures the the you know the dumb gives them their speech back restores nature restores the nature of the lame even when he multiplied the loaves and the fish he's just expanding on nature he's taking what is now he doesn't he doesn't create a meat pie you know he doesn't he doesn't just sort of conjure. He takes what's there and he just makes it last and last and last and last. It's a natural thing. He, he, he delights in the, the bread, if you will, and he just allows it to just keep going and the fish. So Jesus loves, God loves the nature that he's created and he doesn't, he generally doesn't choose to contradict it or necessarily sort of violently intervene into it. Um, as, as, a, as a matter of course. I'm a pilot and I, um, I love to trim out the airplane when I'm at altitude, uh, set it up so that all of its control surfaces are sort of right in the right place, and then control the airplane with, you know, on a reasonably calm day, control the airplane with just a touch of my finger on the yoke. Just, you know, letting the airplane fly itself. I, I really enjoy sensing the airplane just sort of powering itself along in the right way. And I think that the Holy Spirit is that way too, that he delights in us in, you know, with his company and with the enhancements of it, of his gifts, just sort of making our own judgments, just moving along, and he's there with us. And he only intervenes in a more tangible way, I think, when it's really, really necessary. And I think during those years when I was all kind of bent out of shape, trying to figure out this and that, and a lot of it was sort of a scrupulosity as well, young, you know, 20, 21 years old, whatever. Um, I just didn't understand that. And I was kind of looking for some sort of divine inter intervention at every moment to give me that courage and that confidence. Um, when really he just wanted me to be me. And he, he wants us, I think, to trust that he's with us, he won't let us go astray. The pilot hasn't jumped out of the airplane, he's there. We're praying every day, we're receiving the sacraments frequently, and we can trust that even if we're not certain, as we sort of divine our way, excuse the pun, through life, we sort of almost use guesswork here and there and try to figure out the right course of action, um, we can trust that he's there. And even if we make mistakes, he can craft those mistakes into beautiful things because we're doing what we're doing with love. Um, nowhere is this more apparent than when you're raising kids. I mean, honestly, if anyone tells you they have a clue on what they're doing, they're lying. I remember when my girls each turned 13 years of age, all of a sudden my little princesses turned into demon children. I was like, what did you, who are you? Where did, what's, where's my beautiful daughter, princess? What are you? And I didn't know how to deal with them. I was scared, you know. I would, I was seeing the ups and downs of the moods, and I was like, "Do I punish? Do I just let this go?" Oh my gosh, she said she hated me. Oh, no clue, zero clue. After a while, as my kids more and more of them entered adolescence, I like to tell people that I parent more from my knees 
than with my words or actions. I mean, you still, you try to kind of figure out the right thing to do at the right time, and you sort of lean on the Holy Spirit, and you, you always have that sense of listening, but you don't get this great, you know, light from heaven on the road to Damascus. You just sort of muddle your way through, but he's there, and he, he just delights in that, and he guides us, I believe, generally and normally through our own faculties. But, you know, that kind of brings up a, uh, um, a possible problem because, you know, do you ever get the, you ever see people sort of say, I think this is from the Holy Spirit. I always kind of wince when I hear someone say that because it's like, okay, they've locked onto this and they're not going to let it go. It's like they're dogmatically certain that this is, <laughs> this is the right, the right approach and, you know, let's see what, let's see what happens. Oftentimes, I think they're right. Like what they were trying to do is from the Holy Spirit. But 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 I think I think that we can, if we over sort of attach ourselves to this notion of the Holy Spirit miraculously guiding us almost against nature or violently detorking nature this way and that to guide us uh, in our life, or conversely, just attach the sort of dogmatic perfection to our own judgment, thinking that the Holy Spirit is moving us like a puppet then we turn off the listener thing and we actually fail to continue to listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, I think there is a, a risk of taking our own, taking our own judgments and attaching, them a, attaching to them a divine dogmatism, whereas in reality, God is, again, delighting and allowing us to kind of make our way through. But as such, I think it's, it's un, there's a paradox there. I think it's important to trust in the Holy Spirit and trust that he's with us and guiding us and at the same time always have that listener on. And especially, there's another delight that he takes, which is to enlighten us through the words of others. Like, listen to the Holy Spirit through the words of others. I would almost say especially through those that, like all of us, have imperfections, are imperfect people, or are saying things that are imperfect, and find the nugget of, of beauty in what they're saying. I think the Holy Spirit really loves to instruct us that way. And it doesn't mean never make decisions, or don't be confident, or don't be decisive. Let's be decisive, let's make decisions, let's do that with great trust. But at the same time, as we make those decisions, always be listening. Always be listening to the Holy Spirit um, through our own heart and through the words of others, um, possibly enhancing and course correcting and all that kind of stuff. But I think that we can trust our hearts, honestly. I think we can trust our hearts and trust that the Holy Spirit on a normal basis is working through our faculties, even though we don't directly sense the divine there. Um, but then this, this sort of brings up another question. What about presumption? Are we not being presumptuous if we think that God is guiding us that way? If we think we can go through life with perfect judgments just because the Holy Spirit's there, is this not a sin of presumption? Uh, where, what's the difference between trust in the Holy Spirit um, and reckless presumption? And it can seem like a very fine line. I mean, you know, we're told we should abandon ourselves completely to God, trust completely in him, and be certain that he's taking care of us. And then, but doesn't this, can't that feel like presumption, like, oh, I'm not going to fall into serious sin or I'm not going to fall into sin because God is there. That sounds like presumption. I think it can appear to be a very fine line, but there's a, there's a massive difference between absolute trust in the Holy Spirit and presumption. And I think the difference is the difference between a soul who pines for the Lord 
like a deer that longs for running streams, as the psalm says, that just longs for him like a deer that thirsts for running streams, and a soul that basically just takes God for granted and is really kind of focused on other stuff and just assumes that God's going to take care of whatever he's going to take care of and it's all good and I'm going to go do the things that I want to do, which is please my passions. So I think that if we come to God every day in prayer, and maybe it's a real almost emotional or heartfelt thirst that we have, like that deer that longs for running streams, or maybe we are just being constant in our prayer because we we have made a decision and a commitment to make God the, the primary in our lives. And, and, and in that sense, we want him in a deeper way than the emotions. We are decided for him. We are all about him. But we give ourselves to a constant life of prayer every day, mental prayer, contemplation, meditation, love for him, constant commitment to our prayer, no matter how it seems to turn out, constant commitment to living the sacraments. If we do that, if we go to him and go to him and go to him and go to him and want him and want him and ask him to transform us, ask him to penetrate our hearts, ask him to be there for us, ask him for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can be absolutely trusting and certain that our life is in good hands. And we can be certain that in spite of our flawed, flawed, flawed intelligence, broken by original sin, shattered in its ability to grasp the truth, which continues to be imperfect and weak and mind-blowingly erroneous at times, that he's there for us and he is going to make even the mistakes we make turn out well because we love. We love him and we are trying to make, and we are trying to, with, with all our hearts to love the people around us and to live our life for that. So I think really, bottom line, you know, my experience of the Holy Spirit is he's, he's, he's mostly there in this beautiful, peaceful, quiet way. Sometimes he allows me to suffer angst but he's there. He's that pilot in the plane, you know? And then there are moments though that I cherish in my life where he's made himself particularly present. You know, those moments, they're beautiful, but they're also painful because like St. Peter, he's taking us where we would not want to go. You know, Christ said to Peter, when you're younger, you went where you want. When you're older, you're going to be led to a place where you would not like to go. In his case, it meant his death. Well, you know, when I was called out of the Legion of Christ, it was a place I didn't want to go. So there was, the Holy Spirit felt the need, as it were, to, you know, come more decisively and sort of course correct my heart in a manner that might not just be according to my natural judgment. And there was a beautiful thing there. In fact, I remember weeping from gratitude that he would, in such a, in such an active manner enter my life and steer it. It was very, very beautiful, very moving, but at the same time painful. I mean, he was, you know, it wasn't like presto, I, you know, my heart just changed from one minute to the other. My heart was still sort of feeling what it was feeling, but I just knew and I had that peace that he was leading me in a different direction. So I cherish definitely those special moments when he's had to come in and sort of move my life in a different direction. And there are others to cite as well. But I also really get why he doesn't do that on a daily basis. Um, you know, it's amazing. The, 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 the Holy Spirit, maybe we don't think of it this way, but 
the Holy Spirit has an admiration and a love for what we are, and he loves to enhance and enable our faculties and let us just be us with him. And that's sort of the story of the Holy Spirit in my life, more than those, more than those big moments, which nonetheless I'm also very grateful for, of course. Um, so I think another reason sometimes we're like, how can I know I'm doing God's will? How, how can I know I'm sort of not off track? It's, it's not really a correct question if we're in a life of union with God because he will protect us, he will take care of us. He won't let us drop the ball, you know, he won't let us fool ourselves as long as we're conscientious and staying in touch with him, examining our lives and being in, you know, close to him in prayer. It's, it's just not gonna happen, we can trust that. But I think it's part of the reason we sometimes are very tempted to doubt that we're, we're sort of on the right course, if you will, is because God expects such great fruits from our lives. But the amazing thing there, I think, to recognize is that while the, another paradox is that while he expects and brings great fruit in our lives, he actually demands of us very, very little. He demands us a very simple, just our yes every day, like Mary's yes at the Annunciation, just yes. And the fruits are what he produces. I think in the, in, you know, in the Regnum Christi movement, sometimes we, I know this was something that I struggled with for some years, you know, we, we can run into this feeling like it depends on us to the point where we have to conjure something out of nothing. Like we are the, we have to, we have to almost, we almost feel like we have to take the place of God in generating fruits for him. No, he's the one who's, he's given us Regnum Christi, not the, not the other way around. He's given us our lives, not the other way around. He's given us our, even our gift of self to him, not the other way around. He's the one who's going to bring those fruits, but he expects amazing fruits from our lives, but actually demands from us very little. I'm, you know, reflecting on these things on Mother's Day. It happens to be Mother's Day when I'm recording this, and I think of Mary as the one who really, really got that. Like, think about an overwhelming vocation. Okay, you're going to be the mother of God. Got to bring up God. So go, do it. Do, do a great job. Um, she could have been really terrified. The gospel doesn't seem to point to her being really terrified and really daunted by this. Certainly, she was taken aback at the Annunciation. But when we think about it, little quote-unquote was demanded of her she didn't have to figure stuff out she just had to live her life and and love and God did the amazing things God's the one who made her the queen of the universe she didn't have to figure that one out right she just she just loved it it brought her to some really tough places but she just had she just had to love and let him bring the fruit and that's why I'd like to end with this um, with this now as hopefully our reaction to the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can be so certain of him progressively enhancing our faculties, giving us those gifts, being there for us, being the pilot of our lives, um, that we can be, we can just make our lives a constant song of gratitude, uh, as Our Lady did when she visited her cousin Elizabeth with the Magnificat. So I'd really like to end with these words of Mary, thinking of them from our perspective, um, as, a, as, as words of thanksgiving for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what he promises to do with us. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's loneliness. Behold, from now on all ages will call me blessed. 
The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. There is a woman who recognized the gift of God in her life. May the same be uh, said of us this Pentecost. God bless you.